Another story familiar to all of us. Do you remember the beautiful and tragic story of the three little pigs? You guys remember this? Well, those three pigs got an anointing from their mama. You remember? So she realized she wasn't going to be able to take care of them. She wasn't going to be able to, didn't have the groceries she needed to continue raising them. So she sent them out into the world. And she anointed them with wisdom. And she told them how to survive. Now, two of those three pigs didn't get the memo. They didn't exercise wisdom. And they're no longer with us. That third pig, he picked up the wisdom and uh, he lived happily ever after. You know, he took, he outfoxed the wolf and all that stuff and then made it on. But, you know, it's a, like I said, it's a sad story, but it's a good story. So he took that anointing and he went on about his business. And that's why we still have that pig with us today. But anyways, um, in folklore, of course. But, uh, you know, every, every great story begins with an anointing. We, we realize this task is too big for me. We need someone to mark us, to remind us that we can make it, that it's possible. Okay, so there we go. Y'all are thinking, man, this guy's the worst storyteller ever. Uh, I don't even know if I'm, I don't even know if I'm familiar with that story, but y'all, I hope you're checking me on the slippers. Um, so the classical baptismal understanding of anointing looks like this. We take on the offices of Jesus Christ. What Jesus took on in his anointing, we also take on in our baptism. Since Jesus anointed us in baptism. Okay, so now the early church fathers, they picked up on this. People have been writing about this for almost 2,000 years and formalizing it into these categories of prophet, priest, and king. What they realize is, okay, take Abraham, for example, who was a priest and a prophet, but not a king. And then we've got David who was a priest and a king, but not a prophet. And so we have these three offices, and Jesus is called the son of both of them. So he assumes all these roles. He fulfills all of these roles, prophet, priest, and king. So here we are. Now, um, just to kind of give us a a picture and another description of this, um, John Wesley, who uh, was one of the founders of Methodism, writing, uh, you know, a couple, 300 years ago, he's, he's, He formalized this in a a letter when he was trying to explain the basic Protestant Christianity to people who were studying the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. All right, and here's how he summarizes it, just passing on what he's learned his life. Okay, do we have this slide? Uh, Tyler, it should be in there as a JPEG. There we go. Okay, so Wesley summarizes. He says, okay, Jesus Christ is to us these three offices, and here's how we summarize it. He's a prophet to us. He reveals to us the whole will of God. That's what Jesus does. He points directly to the Father and says, if you want to know what God is like, you look at me. And that will show you what God is like. Jesus was a priest. He uh, gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, and he still lives to make intercession for the saints, right? For those of us who are, Wesley said, transgressors, but all of us, uh, I guess we're all transgressors, so he throws that in there. Uh, Christ is a king. He is the one who has all power, all authority, and heaven on earth has been given to him, and he will reign until at the last he will subdue all things to himself. So this is just kind of a summary of how we picture it in Christianity. Now you say, well, Ryan, I'm not the Savior of the world. I'm not forgiving anybody's sins. That's true. You and I don't have the power to come at the end of all things and be the second coming of Jesus because we're not Jesus. So I get that. Uh, We don't represent we're not the same we don't fulfill the offices in the same way that jesus did you and i don't have the power to forgive sins thanks be to god that's jesus's job 
Now, he uses us to declare that forgiveness all over the world. But we don't forgive sins. You and I don't bring about the end of the world. We don't bring about the second coming, right? the second advent. We don't make all that happen. And we're not a prophet in the way that we show directly and absolutely exactly what God is like. But all through the New Testament, you can see these things pointed, that we as Christians are fulfilling these offices. We are priests. How many times have you found yourself, or you've been on both sides of this, when someone has represented God to you, and you've represented God to someone else, you've taken people and dragged them into the presence of God, and you've been dragged by people into the presence of God. You've sat with people in hard times, priests. You have told people the truth. You know, the old courtroom liturgy, uh, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Christian teachers tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And we take, we do that in the world. We share God's truth with the world. And then uh, kings. I know you don't think of yourself as a king or a queen, but we rule. We govern. We govern first our own lives, our own bodies. We have dynamic bodies and souls that have to be ruled, have to be governed because we have sinful nature. And if we're just left to ourselves, we're selfish and we tear things up. We make a mess of things. And so through the Holy Spirit, we govern our own bodies, our own souls. We are part of that process. We actually govern governments. We govern school districts. We govern our homes. We govern our churches. We govern uh, our farms. We are kings and queens in that way. We've, We've taken up that office. Okay, so we've got now. We don't have time today to talk about all three offices. I suppose if I was a better communicator, we could talk about all three today. Um, but I only have the ability to tell you about one today. So we're going to talk today about prophets, about the office of the prophet, and how you and I are prophets in this world. How we take on the office of Jesus as prophet, and how we fulfill that. Okay, so think of it this way. The prophetic task of the church. We as a church, we are sort of a collective prophet. And then also as individuals, we function as prophets. Our entire job is to help the world see Jesus. That's our job. That's what a prophet does. We help the world see Jesus. Whether we're in Sunday morning worship, or we're in Sunday school class, or Sunday night youth, or Wednesday night class, or we're in a small group at our home, or in a prayer group, whether we're driving down the road with a friend, whether we're eating supper with our family, we are helping the world see Jesus. That's what we do. That's what it means. That's the prophetic task of the church. Uh, Jeffrey Wainwright says it this way. He said, you know, we are always asking, what is the will of God? What is the will of God? What is the will of God? And it surprises us to realize sometimes that we, you and I, are part of the answer to that question. You know what part of the will of God is to reach the world? It's you, and it's me. It's mind-boggling to think that part of God's will is you guys and me, us guys. Uh, We are set apart to help the world see Jesus. So part of the question is, what is God's purpose in the world? It's us. We've been left with this task, and here we are. So, okay, prophets. What does it mean to be a prophet in the church? Isn't a prophet one of those crazy people that hangs a sign out their door, and it's like a fortune teller when you show up and be like, Hmm, I anticipate that the next 20 years for you shall be rocky, yet fulfilling, or something, I don't know, some fortune teller weird stuff. How many of y'all think about prophets as weird people? Okay, that's all right. Some of the prophets in the Old Testament are weird people. And sometimes the truths that come with prophecy are weird 
even just in the sense that prophets call us to look at Jesus and we look at Jesus and then we're not selfish anymore. That's weird in this world. Amen? All right, it's different. So what a prophet looks like, and it's always been associated essentially with teaching. We help the world see Jesus through instruction, through wisdom, by telling the truth. That's what prophets do. We tell the truth. Okay. So who gets to be prophets? Aren't there just a few people that are prophets and teachers? Uh, or do we all do it? Well, the answer is both. In one sense and on one hand. Hear these words from James chapter 3. All right, it goes like this. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. All right, that's serious business. I think about that a lot. But as I'm getting ready to preach, and when I stand up to preach, I'm going, Lord, good grief. I know I'm going to be judged more harshly. Please give me the grace to communicate your truth and to not just stand up here and babble on. Uh, it's serious business to be a teacher in the church, just like it's serious business to be a medical doctor in the community. Uh, it doesn't mean we're the only people that are involved in health. It just means that some people are set aside with the gift of teaching. They take that calling. And they instruct us. They show us the way. They study the scriptures. They study church history. They do all these things. And they help us along the way. So in that sense, yeah, not all of us are teachers. Not all of us are prophets. But some of us are. Paul says the same thing in his list of gifts. Now, on the other hand, all y'all, all us, all we, how you say that? Everybody is a teacher. Everybody is a prophet. Okay? Hebrews 5, verse 12. You, this would be, y'all have been believers so long now that y'all ought to be teaching other people. Instead, y'all need someone to teach y'all again the basic things about God's Word. Y'all are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Okay. No. Sorry, that, that's, they, the y'all, the you, the plural is in there. Just said, that's probably not what y'all Okay, here we go. Anyways, um, so. Everybody, he's saying everybody's called to be prophets. Everybody's called to be teachers. Y'all should be further along than you are now. Y'all ought to be teaching other people, but instead, you're still stuck in that milk stage. Right? You're still having to be given that bottle-fed scripture stuff and learning the ways of God when really you ought to be over here into solid food. You ought to be teaching people. You ought to be able to kind of take that along. He's saying y'all need to mature. Y'all need to grow up. Right? You need it's having this moment of conversion. You're like, man, it's my time to take the baton. I've been led along long enough. Now it's my turn to leave. It's my turn to continue following, but to leave. Okay, so that's one spot. Another place where this happens, and I mean, this will make you just bang your head against the wall. Um, and it's so much fun. I'm going to share it with you. Now, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And remember, in his letter, he's getting near the end. And he's just written to us. He's just spoke to us about, about love. Chapter 13 is sometimes called the love chapter. You'll hear it at weddings and, you know, love is patient, love is kind, does not keep a record of wrongs and these sort of things. He's saying you can be the greatest orator that Christianity's ever seen. But if you don't have love for God and your neighbor, then you're just a noisy, daggum symbol. You're just a gong that we wish would go away. You can have all these gifts and teach and prophesy and do all this stuff, but if you don't have love, nothing. So he's really made his point about love being at the center of Christianity, that whatever it is 
that it means for us to be disciples. It's all about charity. It's all about love. It's all about loving God. It's all about loving our neighbor. So he continues in chapter 14 this way. Pursue love. It's like one more jab. I just got to tell you about love, but in case, just so you don't forget, one more time, pursue love. If you pursue anything in this world, pursue love. Chase after it. And, Paul says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Okay, Paul. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, I don't know when the last time you were at home just reading the paper or whatever, and you said, honey, I just have this earnest desire for the spiritual gifts, especially to prophesy. I mean, has that ever happened to anyone? That's not ever happened to me. But it, that's how strange it sometimes sounds when I read that. And Paul's saying, you should earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially to prophesy. I mean, earnestly, that's a lot of energy. So this is apparently important. So what does he mean by that? What does it mean to prophesy? So let's read on. The one who speaks in a tongue, for example, speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters the mysteries of the Spirit. Okay, that's good. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Have y'all ever been spoken to, prophesied to, where you were built up, you were encouraged, or you were consoled? And someone prophesied to you. Someone taught you. In that way, this is what it is. It's it's not this sort of otherworldly thing where you have to be like turned into some weird AM frequency that nobody listens to anymore. It's it's just it's telling the truth. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more I want you to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Okay. Building up. We get this metaphor, right? We know what it's like, whether it's Legos or a house, like to build something from the ground up. That's an image that the New Testament writers use of discipleship. We're being built up. Peter calls it a spiritual house. We're being built up all together. And so all the time, this thing is being built and we're animated. You know, we're not just bricks where we just sit there and don't do anything, but we're, we're animated, we're growing, we're moving. We're being edified. So from our littlest kids in the nursery, all the way up to us big kids who need to be reminded, we are always in need of edification. That fancy, we're always needing to be built up. In fact, one of the classical purposes of the local church, we say big number two, the first one is to worship. The second one, the purpose of the church is for the edification of believers, to build up believers. Because if we don't do that, we're just always left in infancy, whether we're an actual infant or we're an adult who operates like a spiritual infant. So the whole project is about being built up. It's about growing up. It's about being mature. It's about taking on the faith that was given to us and learning it, growing in it, maturing. I think maturity in the church, it's, it's not so much that it's fallen on hard times like it's never been hard before, but it is now. I think this is one of the perennial challenges of the church is that we have a bunch of infants in our congregations. Uh, and we are just, it's natural for us to just stall out at different places in our growth. And we're always needing each other 
and we're needing prophets and we're needing teachers. We all have room to grow and to take that next step in our faith to mature, to grow up in the faith. Um, what do we do when we want to grow? What do we do when we want something to change, whether it's moral courage or it's physical stamina? Right? We have to exercise. We have to work at it a little bit. Um, the human body, as you know, is an amazing thing. The human mind is an incredible thing. We have these capacities that are just unbelievable. Uh, I was talking to a friend last week who was telling me what it's like to lift weights. He was explaining to me. I was like, I don't get that thing. So lifting weights and this thing was saying, you know, we have the ability to put on amazing amounts of muscle for the purpose of, say, powerlifting. But then when we're not powerlifting anymore, sometimes we need to reduce those pounds and get back to like a normal base state. Well, our bodies can do that too, but it's all exercise. Right? It's growing and it's changing. And our souls are exactly the same way. We need that kind of growth. We have to pay attention to what God is doing, to where Jesus is, and we, uh, we pick up on these basics and we share them with others. So just real quick in, in summary and kind of wrapping up, I just want to leave you with a couple of next steps, just some things, some takeaways to do as you sort of continue in your life with prophecy. So see, now you're all prophets and you can just walk around. We don't, we don't have to hang up signs, but here we are together. Um, the first thing is just an invitation because the world is desperate for Christ. They're desperate for the truths of Jesus and not counterfeit. So one of the things we can do to that end is to pray. It's a simple prayer. Just take Paul's little commissioning in 1 Corinthians 14 and make it a prayer. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially to prophesy. So just put that on your prayer list. Lord, I want to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially to prophesy, so that I can build. I can help build. That's why I want it. I want to be able to swing that hammer better so I can build a house. That's the whole deal. Um, the second thing is while we're praying, it's an invitation to study, to pay attention to Christ, to learn what he looks like, how he interacts as we read the Gospels and see how Jesus responds when his back's against the wall, when people are behaving a certain way. What does Jesus do with outsiders who don't feel comfortable in God's community? How does he reach out to them? What does he do? And then finally, uh, don't be afraid to share what you've learned. Don't be afraid to share what you've learned. You guys, this is an amazing bunch. You have amazing capacities. Don't be afraid as you grow in your faith to share those things with others. One example of that is we as parents, we've been called to be parents or grandparents. It's not primarily the pastor's job or the Sunday school teacher's job to transmit the faith to our kids. It's our job. It's the parents' job. So we, we take that responsibility. We prophesy to our kids. We tell them the truth. We point them to Jesus. Whether we're watching movies with them, we're playing Little League Baseball, Whatever it is that we're about, we're always prophesying, always teaching among our kids and wherever we are. So whoever is listening to you, looking to you, leaning on you, just remember uh, that Christ has called you to carry out the office of teaching and of prophesying. And so as you go about that work, may God bless you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.